0: To the Behavioral Healthcare Executive Podcast, I'm BHE Senior Editor Tom Valentino, and today I am joined by Tim Robinson, the founder and CEO of Addiction Recovery Care, which operates a network of over 30 addiction treatment centers across Eastern and Central Kentucky. Tim, welcome to the show.
1: Tom, it's great to be with you. We appreciate the invite, and we always love an opportunity to share uh, about what we're doing here in Kentucky and. We may be ground zero of the national opioid epidemic here in Kentucky, but I believe we're also ground zero of national solutions.
0: Well, you, you guys definitely have several good things happening right now. Uh, first one I wanted to discuss with you is uh, something that kind of blew my mind when I first heard about it, and that is the opening of Crown Recovery Center, I, I believe a few months ago. Now, this is a 750-bed residential treatment facility located on the campus of the former St. Catherine College. Uh, tell us about this. What was the thought process uh, behind uh, your decision to launch something that uh, really is just such a massive endeavor?
1: Well, one of those driving factors was the opportunity from a facility standpoint. So unfortunately, uh, the former campus of St. Catherine's College came available when the college lost its financial aid status. That campus was sitting empty and went to a foreclosure sale. And one of the developers that we work with to help us um, open facilities was successful in purchasing that facility. And we then started looking at how much of the campus we thought we might be able to use to, to do a facility. We, um, as we explored it, as uh, regulations changed, um, as IMD rules uh, were changed, as Kentucky became one of the first states to avail ourselves to these changes that would allow residential treatment facilities larger than 16 beds. And as our state, as we met with OIG and as we met with uh, uh, the governor's office and the cabinet that's over Medicaid and behavioral health, uh, we determined that we could put in a full continuum of care there, that we could um, take full advantage of the 50 acre campus um, and let the capacity from a physical plant standpoint drive the number of beds. Now, Springfield is, is somewhat rural community uh, but it's within um, less than an hour, just just less than an hour's drive from Lexington and Louisville, our two biggest population areas, um, both which have a big need for addiction treatment and not as many addiction treatment centers per capita as what we've developed in, in eastern and uh, the rest of eastern Kentucky. So some of that was opportunity. Some of that was a market that demanded it. And the facility itself is is ideal for what we're going to be doing.
0: Tell us a little bit more about uh, what what you're going to be doing. That it seems like with a, a property that large, and, and you know, f- facilities that expansive, you you can have a, a lot of different a uh, lot of different options at your disposal, and really uh, quite a canvas to work from.
1: Yeah, so we've over time developed uh, what we call a crisis to career approach, where we. Take someone who's in crisis and help them cast a new vision for their life that goes past just uh, just getting getting sober. That um, there's more to life than just being able to to pass a urine drug test. That 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 there is a lot that they can offer uh, in the addiction treatment field uh, with skills that that they already they they have. If we can. Uh, help get them back on on track and maybe fill in some uh, resume holes we can we can get them back in into the workforce and get them back to uh, being productive and and that's a big motivator for our clients and so um, on the Springfield campus Crown Recovery Center we'll be doing residential level of care so we have uh, we'll have four licensed residential treatment facilities when they're fully up and running We also, with 50 Acre Campus, have room for uh, on-site PHP. So we'll be able to have uh, PHP programs there that allow uh, people to take advantage of that during the week when that uh, PHP program uh, can be operating on campus. We'll also have some intensive outpatient programs that are available uh, on campus. Uh, Robust peer support specialist offerings. We'll have a medical clinic on campus to deal with with ongoing medical issues. Um, And then at different levels of care, different um, vocational opportunities, we're in the process of of developing educational partners who will actually be offering some classes on campus that will be doing uh, some uh, basic job skills, soft skills development, We'll be doing some of those things ourselves we have some of our own vocational programs that will be operational there um, and so we're excited as you use the phrase uh having a canvas that allows us to really do all the things we're doing across a network now but doing them on, on one campus one of the big challenges in a rural state like Kentucky is in uh, rural areas and and even and even uh, towns that that in maybe in other states would have public transportation. We don't have that in Kentucky. We have in in all of Eastern Kentucky, we have one public transportation system that that operates a daily bus route. Um, the community where we are with Crown Recovery Center doesn't have public bus routes. And so some of the elements of of being able to access, PHP, IOP services, being able to uh, have self-help meetings, being able to have AANA, those things just are not possible. Many of our folks don't have transportation. And so being able to cluster those services in a way to where on a 50-acre campus, they can avail themselves to all these different services is really going to take a group of people who in the past have not had all these opportunities and give them that opportunity all on one campus
0: let me ask you this um with regards to launching everything on this campus were were your operations impacted at all uh in trying to get this done by the pandemic what role uh has covid played in the process of getting everything up and running there
1: so so fortunately from a physical plant side we we um we had done a lot of uh, preliminary work. We'd done a lot of the things that needed to, to bring at least half the campus online. So we we today um, have about uh, uh, roughly uh, uh, 25% of the campus, uh, those beds, what we would consider online. That's with staffing. That's with physical plant By By spring, we'll have... Half the campus online, 375 beds. Um, so, from a physical plant standpoint, we've worked well. The the state has been incredible to work with. Uh, Governor Bashir's administration, uh, every cabinet that we've worked with has been supportive and a, a tremendous help. Um, from a from a census standpoint, a lot of residential programs and addiction providers were hit hard by by the pandemic. Um, we saw a decrease, um, but we, because we're we're operating at the scale we do, we we have uh, a lot of ability to respond to those challenges, maybe in different kinds of ways, resource wise, than smaller providers. And so, um, you know, there's been smaller providers that 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 have struggled to stay open during during this. A lot of that is because court systems are closed, law enforcement are are um, being encouraged to um, to not add to the overcrowding in a lot of jails. A lot of uh, prisons and jails are uh, are having to restrict access for peer support or for other folks to go to the jails or or jail ministries or other other community agencies that interact with jail populations. So that's been a big a big challenge. Um, of course, you know. Uh, being able to go into uh, ERs and, and, and talk to people who have overdosed that those are all been challenges. So I guess we've been able to innovate and do some things like roll out a transportation service so we can, we can get, get to where folks are needed. We can do the COVID-19 screening before they come on our campuses. And that's allowed where other providers sort of had to to kind of restrict access and 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 freeze admissions or slow admissions, we were able to respond and and actually um, make it through uh, the pandemic, um, protecting our current clients that were in our facilities and also being able to bring in new clients. And so, um, looking ahead, you know, as as the vaccines start start rolling out and as Hopefully, we start getting some stability from from, and a slowdown. Uh, we are bracing ourselves for a late spring, early summer. I think tsunami of treatment demand as the court systems open, as social services offices open, as all these different um, touch points for intervention uh, reopen. I've every indicator that I can think of that I've seen day on. A lot of the gains that we had made in reducing overdoses in Kentucky, those have evaporated. Those games have evaporated. And most all indications is that the drug problem um, is twice as bad as it was, at least if we look at the indication of drug overdoses as it was prior to the pandemic. So.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Unfortunately, we, you know, we see the same stats that you do and, you know, on a national scale, uh, you know, the number I've seen repeated, uh, several times in recent weeks is that 12 month period, uh, that, you know, kind of, uh, encapsulates the, uh, the first few months of the pandemic and, and just how overdose rates soared and, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's a troubling trend. So, um, I am uh, I'm, I'm with you in terms of where things uh could be heading here in the in the coming months. Um you had, you had touched on briefly uh the uh the the phrase crisis to career and I know this is kind of a, a philosophy and approach uh for your organization that that predates uh the Crown campus and um you know kind of walk me through that a little bit more cuz you know it's something that is just so important in, in terms of uh, patient recovery and and, and you know staying maintaining um, you know their their recovery post treatment and you know getting off to a, a good start and just the Im- the importance of work and uh, you know constructive activities and whatnot and um, just tell us a little bit more about that and um, you know h- how you've incorporated that philosophy into your your treatment approach and just kind of the results that uh, you've gotten from it.
1: Well, let me go back to the beginning when we really got a, a big wake-up call to how important uh, hope is and opportunity is. So uh, when we um, had our, our transitional programs post-residential in the beginning when the Medicaid benefit was rolled out in Kentucky and we were able to to scale our, our facilities, um, We had somewhere around 40% of our clients that would move past residential level of care and take advantage of one of our, at that point we didn't have PHP, but we had intensive outpatient with the opportunity to also have transitional housing. Um, At that point, um, about 40%. Would, would move forward, which was still a strong number for people continuing residential level of care. Um, when we rolled out our peer support job training program, where we partnered with Sullivan University, uh, a, univers- a, a college university that's it's based in Louisville that has a satellite learning center here in, in, in eastern Kentucky in, in our town in Louisa, we had partnered with them to create a program where you could earn 28 college credit hours, basically a third of an associate's degree, those are actually 28 quarter credit hours, it's a third of an associate's degree, and earn a certificate from them while at the same time doing treatment, um, and matriculate those hours at no cost to to the client. When we rolled out that opportunity, we created the biggest bottleneck in treatment that we've ever had in the organization's history, literally, not... Not in two months, but literally in a week, the demand went from 40% wanting to move on to 75%. So it took us nine months to open enough transitional beds uh, for people who wanted to continue on. And so that let us know that the power of hope, the power of opportunity was the great treatment motivator. I, I had folks that worked with us that still work with us now that had been in the had been in behavioral health and addiction treatment for 20 years working for community mental health centers and other addiction and mental health providers and they said they'd never seen treatment motivation increase over anything like that. Hmm. And didn't even know that something like that would be possible to to increase treatment motivation. So that let us know that 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 was a powerful thing. and. It was consistent with some data that we had been seeing from the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation and from the Pew Charitable Trust that we looked at some different uh, data and kind of combined some of that to arrive at the second best intervention according to that data. Uh, The best intervention is a longer term residential program. The second best intervention we have is job training, even if there's non addiction treatment along with that job training. And that actually was more effective than 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 medically assisted treatment by itself in hmm. in terms of 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 uh, people getting back into the workforce and people being able to uh, be state be, be stable and be in an active recovery program. So sort of the numbers that we've talked about is medically assisted treatment, if it's medication management and behavioral health services together, about a four dollar return on investment, and that's a decrease in cost to the government in terms of of cost drivers, and an increase in earnings and and paying taxes. Uh, Residential, longer term residential programs are about a $7 return on investment. um, And a job training program is a $5 return on investment. And so uh, when we were looking at the data and then seeing what was happening in our own organization, we just said, okay, what if we combine MAT and job training? What if we combine job training and residential? What kind of results are we going to get? And so, that's what what's allowed us to um, to build out this this kind of stumbling into that as a part of our treatment strategy has allowed us to to become nationally recognized for our crisis to career model. And now since we've added other programs, and we're seeing the same kind of success and You can go back to our first job training program we started in October 2016. The first graduates of that program was May of 17. And you can look at 12 months out, 24 months out, 36 months out, now over 48 months out. And 80% of the folks that have completed those those job training programs after treatment um, are today in active recovery and employed. Uh, that takes the success of, of most addiction programs and inverts verts it from being 10-15% successful to 80% successful.
0: Fantastic. Hey, one more thing I wanted to ask you about, and then uh, we'll, we'll let you get running. I don't know a ton about this, but it's my understanding uh, that later this month, your organization is going to be one of five providers that's going to be starting up a a new project with HHS. What uh, What can you tell us about that?
1: So um, this, this would have started last spring had, had the pandemic not interrupted the study. Uh, but it's getting ready to start again. Um, uh, two, two, two and a half years ago, um, we were nominated by the governor of Kentucky at the time to be a part of, um, potentially be a part of a national study by the federal HHS called the B Study. Uh, the B study was looking at how do we take folks who are, because of either addiction, mental health, or other obstacles that are not in the workforce, how do we then get them the healthcare access to treatment they need, the supports they need to then re-enter the workforce? Um, we were nominated in Kentucky and, and other states nominated providers, uh, and organizations, and five of those were selected around the country. Um, and we were one of those. And in fact, the Social Security Administration selected one of those programs as a program that was doing it at the most scale and actually selected us. And so um, that study's getting ready to kick off. And for the next three years, they're gonna be studying our to career model. They're gonna be looking at what does vocational rehabilitation and job training mean in terms of the success of taking people from their addiction to getting them back into the workforce, and what are the differences in that? And so there'll be some control groups and data, and so we'll be getting some preliminary data. You know, we like to say, um, based on our own data, not just marketing numbers, but on our own data, this program's eighty percent successful. And so we we look forward to seeing this documented as a national best practice, and I think hopefully be uh, a part of shifting policy in our country to recognize that people don't get into addiction overnight and they're not going to get out of it overnight. It's going to take us doing a longer term investment more than just a, a short detox program or, or even just medication uh, if we want to get people their lives back.
0: Well, given uh, the work that you've been doing, it certainly seems like your your organization's a perfect fit for uh, this type of endeavor. Uh, Best of luck with that. And uh, Tim Robinson, thanks so much for taking the time to join us today. This is really good. Thank you. All right. uh, That is going to do it for us. As a reminder, you can subscribe to the BHE podcast on Apple Podcasts. We're also on several other listening platforms. You can stream us on our website, behavioral.net. Our thanks once again to Tim Robinson, the founder and CEO of Addiction Recovery Care. That's going to do it for us. I'm BHE senior editor, Tom Valentino, and this has been the Behavioral Healthcare Executive Podcast. I'm not afraid of